Watchers to another episode. You got myself, Andrew Whitelaw, also known as Meat Watcher. No, I'm not known as that, am I? <laughs> Maybe we should go for welcome back, Ag Watchers to another episode. Yeah, you got myself, uh, Andrew Whitelaw, also known as Wheat Watcher, and you got my salubrious livestock leader colleague. Matt Dalgleish, also known as Meat Watcher. No guests this week. We just thought we'd have a bit of a, a quick update on the market. You know, it was a, we had a big guest on last week. You know, there's only so much excitement that, that the two of us can handle. So we thought we'd just do a bit of an update on what is happening around the markets. Matt, big week. What's, what's the big Huge things week. happening in cattle? Huge week. Um, well, the big one was actually the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator. Uh, we saw that break through an important psychological barrier of uh, 900 cents a kilo carcass weight. So as of yesterday, it was at 907. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, yeah, really, really big, big kind of um, momentous day for that one. Well, I don't know. If a lot of it seems to be a lot of surprise by it, but you know, I'm, I'm, you know, credit where credit's due. I don't often give you credit, Matthew, but this was something that you'd wrote about in the past that it would that would hit uh, a nine in front of it for quite some time. Uh, yeah, we'd spoken about it. I think just with um, with the kind of I think we spoke about it too when we saw that rain that was coming up into the north, and certainly when you break down the numbers behind the Eki, and and actually I'll give a shout out to MLA because they've just changed some of their reporting online, and you can now see a lot more background data to the Eki as to who what buyer groups are driving it. And we can see that um, this most recent push higher has been obviously restockers, but particularly restockers from the Northern markets. Um, and you've seen Roma and Dolby, one of the two big ones that have really pushed it on with restocker buyers. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's a really good tool that MLA one to see actually what's, what's driving that underlying indicator. But yeah, something we'd spoken about. Um, the interesting thing now will be Andrew, uh, whether we can whether we can get to those um, record highs that we saw when you inflation adjust the Eki, uh, and we'd spoken about that on TEN uh, a few weeks Cause ago. Because it's, it's not quite the record, is it? In 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 inflation adjusted terms, the record would be nine hundred and thirty six cents as a as an all time inflation adjusted high. So so we're not that far from that really, and that's if if we were to do the same calculation with say wheat, we'd be nowhere near the inflation adjusted top price yeah yeah probably yeah you know and, and, but at least with cattle for it to be at the nominal and the real close let's call it let's, for argument's sake we're, we're close to the top for for in real terms and we're in the record terms for nominal but we like with grains we're, we're miles off the uh the real term yeah the inflation price. adjusted one for grains yeah and that i mean that's part of the the issue with the grain space there Andrew, you know very well about it that um i don't know much about that grain, <laughs> the grain producers have had to become more and more efficient um, with what they do every every kind of few years because of um, how you know, they have to keep up with inflation to a degree in terms of their efficiencies. Um, uh, not to say that cattle cattle people don't have to, but it's just one of the things with the grain market um, that it's one of the it's what. Well, so what 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 are the big drivers with that Eki then? Uh, certainly, the rain was one. I mean, we saw some of the rain disrupting in New South Wales with with you know what was happening with the flooding there, but. The rain that fell in, in the parts of Queensland and some again that hadn't seen um, you know the kind of rain we'd seen in the south. So I think that um, that kind of got a few a bit more inspired to to, to dip in again. Um, 
sweet, but you know, when you're looking at the actual numbers, though, it's starting to get to a stage with a nine in front of it, and certainly if it gets up to 9.20 or 9.30, um, I just can't see at those levels how it's going to be economic uh, from, a, from a cattle trade perspective. So I would suggest we're about 20, 10 to 20 cents top, I think, at the moment. I can't see it going much past not those, those inflation-adjusted highs. We'll see. You know, that obviously, mm. grass fever holds. It does. It does. More and that, and this way. was just last, that was that last, that's what we spoke about, that this last little rally we're seeing now, I think, is, is the last little flurry of grass fever. And I think then it's not going to be a crash, mate, but I think it'll just be, um, you know, we'll see the top shortly and then and it'll just be a little bit of downhill, a down, slow downhill trek from there. But um, what about grains? What's been the big news in the grains? Before, before we go off onto grains, uh, another livestock one I wanted to talk about was our old friend, the, uh, the Chinese and African mm -hmm. swine fever. It's interesting to note that we were probably one of the first ones to really show, as well as I think Simon Quilty was the same, sort of middle of last year, we sort of had a bit of dubiousness about the the rebuild of, of the Chinese uh, flock herd. And it seems that most of the world is now starting to sort of come to that fact that maybe, maybe China's rebuild isn't quite as strong and maybe their the port rebuild is not anywhere near where it was supposed to be, which has also not been helped by further outbreaks. And I think it's, it's interesting to see a lot of analysts, I guess, change their tune and, uh, and, and and start to sort of follow that same sort of hymn sheet. But I think that's still going to be, I guess, another thing on, on the beef and sheep side that, that will keep things, you know, for, it will keep things from being a true crash. Like yeah, there's, there's almost, enough, there's almost yeah. a floor in it because there's enough demand there with that African swine fever. So... That's right. There's enough demand fundamentals there to keep the market from from collapsing, whether it's beef or sheep. It's interesting you said you initially said you said the the Chinese pig flock, Andrew. I wasn't sure if you were referring to those Hungarian Mongolitsa pigs that have actually got fluffy kind of wool. Well, that's what, I, that's what I was confused about, you know, because I was I was looking <laughs> at that and thinking, geez, is it a sheep or is it a, is it a pig? Uh, before before we go again, before we go on to on to the important commodity of grains. Grains, I thought we'd start off with a, a niche commodity, uh, one that one I occasionally cover. You know, we, we, we share sort of different commodities and we, we look at different commodities. And I, I like to look at all sorts of commodities from salmon to, to whatever else. But occasionally we, we sort of mix it up and, and talk about, we, we individually look at the fibers. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we looked at, which is another interesting one, is that we looked at uh, copper and wool. Uh, on behalf of one of our clients mm -hmm. who had asked us if there was any lead indicators that could be used to identify the ups and downs of wool. And, and we looked at it just early last week, very early last week. I think it was actually on Easter Monday. Was Easter Monday, I mm -hmm. think? And a uh, really strong relationship between copper and, and, and wool pricing. If you look at it over time, if, as, as copper goes up, we tend to find that wool follows. I think that's again comes back to that old and without going to economic lessons and stuff that that old expression Dr. Copper mm. and that copper is a really good indicator of of basically obviously things like electronics the more cop copper demand goes up as people are buying electronics but it's a good signal of of strong economic growth is high copper pricing and so mm. we see this pattern of copper increasing and wool increasing and and one of the things that we know from from our, our work in the past is that, you know, wool is really an economic product to an extent. It's, it's an expensive product and people only buy it when they've got, 
cashola. And, yeah. and so, uh, yeah, 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 it's a disposable spend. Oh, yeah, it's part of one of those one or discretionary spend, I should say. And so, um, when, so, so when we see sort of copper going up, it's a sign of a good economy, and a good economy is a good sign for wool. So it's kind of a, a common sense sort of relationship. And I like to look at a lot of relationships between different commodities that might not always be uh, considered to be the, the norm. And that was one that we looked at very early on. And it's and it's good to see that you know, others are looking at that as well afterwards. So on to wheat. Well, but it's interesting you say about that because, like you're saying, they're both both copper and both end up in products that are generally those discretionary spends. So that's why they tend to be a great barometer of the global um, situation. When the global yeah. economy improves, they both improve, and that's what you that's what you showed in your very um, original analysis. That um, my original analysis early last week. <laughs> so looking at the at the grains market, like it has been. This, this is my favorite time of year, and, and I get ultra excited uh, when we come into sort of May, June, July, because I could basically take the rest of the year off most years, I reckon, and, and I might start putting a request in for it, because really, May through to August is what makes the crop, and I reckon this one's going to be an exciting one. I'm not going to put any, any, any forecast down on how it will go. The only forecast I would give is that it's going to be a interesting one more interesting in the last couple of years because we're starting the year already good prices big demand cropping issues around the world the us europe having cropping issues and that's before we even started really growing the crop and so most of the crop is grown between june and august and it's already getting mental just now and we still got another five months to go so i'm, I'm ultra excited for it to be just all over the place and and for me to have somebody to talk about almost every day so from a from a grain international grain market analyst kind of perspective, you know this is your harvest period now, isn't it? Harvesting of what's going on. Uh, What's well, the harvesting of the data? Like make only made a good point. Like yeah. it's 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 the it's the analysts and the consultants' Christmas this time of year. And and one thing I would say to farmers is you can't forget about this time of year because this is the time of year that provides opportunities. Just because the market rises doesn't mean it'll stay there. So if it's an opportunity to sell old crop or new crop at a high level, then go for it. Uh, but looking at the US, we had a USDA report out last year, week. Boring is boringness. Uh, and it's just nothing really to say there. The uh, interesting enough, the main thing I like to look at is things like the exporter volumes. Uh, the level of grain held by the top eight exporters has dropped to 60 million. That's the lowest in since 2013 which puts that as a, a bit of a level where things are getting pretty tight with those exporters. And that's what is the available stock for the likes of your Indonesia, your Egypt, and whoever else who's a, who's a buyer. So that's an interesting one to look at. Uh, but other than that, you had that corn, uh, expected plantations for corn, which was lower than most expectations, doesn't really follow with the economic rationale of the typical farmer. The typical farmer says, right, prices are fantastic. I'm going to plant wall-to-wall -wall corn. Uh, for them to say, we're not going to do that, mm, well, who knows? I, I would be surprised if, you know, if ground is left unturned this year. So we'll see what that is. Uh, the other one is canola. I'm going to do a bit more work on canola this week, I think, actually, because it's quite an interesting one. We've got shockingly low for old crop, and I've only looked at old crop so far in terms of 
uh, work that I've been doing for, for clients who, who, who have got old crop uh, left to, to buy or sell. Uh, but what we're tending to find is that our premium, we normally have a pretty good premium against ice canola in, in, in Canada, which is the futures contract. However, we are a massive discount. We've gone from like a positive $70 discount, a positive $70 premium, sorry, to like a 200 to $250 discount. And that's massive. And it's, it's showing that we, we still have good prices. Uh, historically, on, on, a, on a grower level, the grower receives physically if he sells to whoever that may be. But the reality is the actual premium versus the rest of the world is, is eroded to a massive discount. And I'll probably do a bit more work looking at new crop. I'll probably do it this afternoon after this because I've got nothing much else on. Uh, but look, I'm, I'm pretty excited for the coming year because I think things are looking good in Australia. And I think, you know, there is the potential, and I say at this time of the year potential, for things to go belly up in the, in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. But that so potential is also that potential is also there for a big year in the Northern Hemisphere if things turn mm. around. Mm. So, touch wood. Well, early days, but like you're saying, if we do get a bit of a hiccup in that northern hemisphere and we have another cracking season coming into next harvest, um, another like two two back to back good years for Australia and the producers, I guess, for both um, good volumes and good prices. The best of both worlds. Mm. That's what that's what it brings. Ag, the ag space, mate. It's a place to be. The ag space. It's, it's a place to be. I'm glad glad we got into it. You know, mm. glad we have lots of good mentorship to push us through so the other thing is uh we, we oh we got to go out this week as well we we had we, yeah, had we some, did too we, yes we, to we, the, we had some the... we had some grog at lunchtime how good was that that was good it was the rural press club of victoria to go and see the deputy prime minister of australia um chat about all things um agriculture yeah that was that was interesting enough pretty pretty let's be honest it was pretty Typical polit political speech. wasn't wasn't much to it. You you got to ask your question on whether we should scrap the NBN, which had him a little bit flustered, I think. Uh, scrap the NBN and just let Elon Musk do it for us. Leave it to private enterprise. Well, in the in the re I'm sure the NBN works for people like yourself, Andrew, that are on the fringe of suburbia, but um, people like me that are proper people out in the bush. Proper, um, we, proper country we, folk. Yeah, we can't rely on, uh, you know, kind of cable into the home type stuff. We, you know, I've got a satellite NBN system that works reasonably okay, but I know there are a lot of places out there um, further, more remote than me that um, are really struggling. And um, that was the guts of the question with this um, Starlink that they're rolling out. It looks like it's going to have some very good speeds. Um, and uh, yeah, I just kind of thought, well, I'll let the private sector sort it out. Don't worry about the NBN for the, for the rural, remote and rural areas that are struggling. Well, he says no. <laughs> well, so his answer it, was yes. His answer was yes and no. Actually, so. Yes and no. But, but no. Well, I suppose NBN is sort of a quasi-government, quasi-private enterprise anyway. So the other thing was we we got to go out this week. That was good to go into Melbourne and and see see some folks, see some clients, see some journals, see some politicians, and just have it's a not bit the, of. Uh, it's nice to be out, but we've got a big thing coming up in May that we're going to be out for those listeners that. You know, kind of up at beef week, they keep their eye out for the egg watchers duo. Yeah, we'll, we'll be up in, in beef week from where, where are we going? Uh, we're there from the third to the sixth, so uh, we're not there for so the whole time. I've not got a calendar, Miz. What days is that? It's Monday the third to 
the Thursday the sixth, I think. Yeah, so Monday to Thursday. That's the easy mm -hmm. way of saying That's it. That's the one. That's the one. Uh, so yeah, if, if anyone's up there in Beef Week wants to catch up, or if you see two lost-looking, pale-looking southerners wandering <laughs> around, then uh, sweaty, um, sweating under the heat, yeah. uh, complaining about the humidity, and is is it humid at Rockhampton or is it uh, in Brisbane? It's hot. It's hot and humid, mate. Oh, it's not. It's not the kind that. of weather for for a Scotsman, and not the kind of weather for someone with Scottish heritage with a surname like Dalgleish. So, I think, mate, when it gets past twenty three degrees, um, we both tend to struggle a bit. And um, if someone sees us up there struggling, more than welcome to throw a beer on us. Yeah, because because we we have been we were actually discussing that the other day. You know, we have been uh, approached by a couple of companies and enterprise saying, "Can we sponsor the podcast?" And and we said, "No." Nope. We're not in it for the money. We're in it for the uh, the art. We're into it from form where we're we're like, you know, those bands. who are like I don't know. We're just there. Radiohead. Radiohead Radio Radio Head, um, put out an album uh, a couple of years back where it was just on online and you could just download and pay whatever you wanted for it. And yes, people would download it for free. But that's the kind of spirit where we're just here to share the knowledge and share the love and, and just have some fun with the listeners. Just not in it for the money, Andrew. Just as a hobby. However, we're not averse to if you bump into us in, in the bar at, uh, at Rockhampton uh, to, to, to show us a beer, we will we will, we will not say no to that. So or a wine. We, or wine. We, we'll take beer donations. Or spirit. Or spirit. Or spirit. In, <laughs> in the spirits of the podcast. <laughs> that's it. We're not fussy. So, so yeah, that's pretty much it that's quick marker update what we're up to where we're going what we're doing kind of a bit of a waffle really i guess that's because we don't have a script so unlike others waffle waffles so thanks very much for listening unless you're going to else, matt i'm just i'm just sort no, of ending it. no i think i think no go for it mate i think we're ready to do the wrap up you do a better job of the wrap up than me I always I always muck it up ah well i'll get the banjo ready so if you enjoyed the podcast, share it with your friends and family. Give it a, a review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to it. Uh, one of the things you could do to help us out is retweet it on uh, on on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook and say, "Listen to these guys; they're a bunch of clowns." Uh, you can, or you can even say anything worse. Like that's probably a compliment for us in terms of we've we've, we've been we've been told worse. Uh, if you don't like the podcast, you know, send it to your enemies and put them through this. Uh, but yeah, that's all we want is just to get the word out, the good, the good word of ag watchers out there, and and yeah, have a good one, have a good weekend. Yeah, see you when you got nothing on. Ciao for now. <laughs>